In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all those up through the 12th grade please come forward? Watch, look at me. <laughs> Aren't you impressed? Are y'all ready? You ready? We've been waiting, right? What are we waiting for? Christmas? Why? So we can open our presents, right? But you know what we're really waiting for? We're waiting to celebrate, first of all, this wonderful incarnation of God where he comes down from heaven. God comes down from heaven and becomes just like us, except in a little baby. Then he grows up to be your size and your size and your size and my size. Well, no, not, he didn't make it to my size, my age, but... He died around when he was 33. But he, this great incarnation of God we, we celebrate at Christmas. And with that comes the opening of presents, right? Because God presents himself to us. He gives himself as a present to us. What else are we waiting for? Other than the celebration of God coming down in the form of a baby Jesus. Hmm? Yeah, you said it, I think. No, it wasn't New Year's, but that's good too. But now we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. When he's going to come on all the clouds with all the holy angels. And they're going to come down and the whole earth will see him. And they will know who he is. We wait for that too. And as we wait, we're preparing. So last week we put up our Advent wreath with the candles. And we put up our banner. banner. What, did we, what did we change this week? What's new in here as we continue to prepare for this incarnation. What, do you see anything different? How about the wreaths? Took the places, places of the stations of the cross, didn't they? And next week we'll have something else. And then on Christmas we'll have something else. So we're, we're preparing. Have you prepared at home? Have you started doing things? Yes. Putting up trees? We got a tree, but we just never decorate it. Uh, you, ne you never decorate your tree? Oh, you have, you're supposed to, but you know what you need to do? Go back to the 17th century. They put candles on your tree. The tree had all kinds of candles with fire on it. I'm sure that's going to go across well <laughs> with a dry tree, right? But that's what they used to do because they didn't have electricity. And, and when electricity came, they started using little light bulbs. And, and the first tree, I think, was in New York, and it was a friend of Thomas Edison who, who put the first lights on a Christmas tree. And now we all put lights on our Christmas trees, on our houses. We're preparing because Jesus is the light of the world and we're showing, we're shining forth this light. Who is Jesus? So it's not just, I mean, they're pretty. I mean, all the things that we do in the opening of the presents, that's wonderful. But who's it all about really? Jesus. Not about us, Right? Right? Connor, not about us, right? It's about Jesus, right? Right? It's about Jesus, Sophia? 
Jesus? Yeah, all about Jesus. Get ready. Prepare to celebrate and to receive Jesus in his second coming, okay? All right. All right, thank you for coming up. Appreciate it. If you, if you want to packet to color you Sophia you don't have to but you're more than welcome to if you want a packet to color you can get a packet from Mr. Music over there thank you thank you One afternoon, there was a, a waiter in a restaurant who served a bowl of chicken soup to an older gentleman. And as he turned away to go back to the kitchen, the waiter, the customer stopped him and said, Waiter. And the waiter asked, Yes, sir, there's, is there something wrong? The customer said, The soup. Taste it. The waiter said, I beg your pardon, sir. The customer said, Taste it. But, sir, I can assure you that the soup is excellent. Taste it. Sir, the soup was made this morning of the finest ingredients. Taste it. The waiter, exasperated, said, all right, sir, I will taste it. After a pause, the waiter asked, where's the spoon? To which the customer replied triumphantly, aha, Some of you don't get it. I know some of you don't get that, but okay. There was a couple who had been married for 45 years. They had raised a brood of 11 children, and they were blessed with 22 grandchildren. And when asked the secret of their long uh, life staying together as a married couple, all that, all that time, the wife replies, well, many years ago, we made a promise to each other. The first one to pack up and leave has to take all the kids. <laughs> Imagine with me, if you will, God telling you, first of all, that the Messiah is coming. And then secondly, that you yourself have the mission of preparing the way for him. Imagine yourself being called to be the advanced person of Jesus Christ. How would you handle it? Now, knowing myself, I'm pretty sure that I would first be intimidated. I think something like, why me? Well, what credentials do I have for such a task? There must be a million people better qualified as a PR person than I am, 10 million people better qualified spiritually than I am. But then after a while, I think I would get a hold of myself and begin to relax. I mean, after all, if God chose me to do the job, he must know what he's doing. And besides, I know that's how God works. After all, God chose Abraham, just this ordinary hayseed from Ur of Chaldees. God chose Moses, who had been discredited both as a Jew and as an Egyptian. God chose Peter, who smelled of fish and who flew off the handle with some regularity and God chose Saul who had been murdering Christians and they all did okay so if God chooses me for a job things should work out as well 
Whatever I don't know, God knows, and we will manage. Besides, how often do you hear the voice from heaven saying, Stand, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. If that wouldn't inspire you, what would? I think I could really get inspired about being the advanced person for the Messiah. First, I would want to get a commitment from the best ad agency in the country. I would probably go to those people who make those great Geico commercials. If, you, if they can make a gecko and a caveman look good, surely they can make the Messiah look good. And then I would want music. I'd go to maybe Chris Tomlin to put together a concert with Phillips, Craig, and Dean, Michael W. Smith, the New York Philharmonic could do some symphonic stuff, the San Francisco Opera. They could put, to, put something together uh, with a marching processional. We could even have people carrying Jesus on their shoulders. We could work it out so that they could march off the stage and into the aisles and out to the streets with spotlights hanging from helicopters everywhere. Wouldn't that be a great pageant? And then we could have the official receptions. The President of the United States could host a dinner party at the White House for a thousand or so of Jesus' closest friends. And then we, of course, have to do something at Buckingham Palace. After all, the Queen is the head of the Church of England. And of course, we'd have to have an audience with the Pope. We can't leave the Pope out. It would be fun traveling first class with the Messiah. I can't think of a better job. Now, of course, there'd be a lot of little details associated with a job like that. For instance, one of my first questions to God would be, Lord, can you give me a ballpark figure of what kind of budget we're talking about? What would God say? There is no budget. Just do your best with what you have. What do you mean, do my best with what I have? You must be kidding. I don't have anything. Lord, this is important. The coming of the Messiah will divide all of history. Everything on this side of Messiah will be B.C. Everything on this side of the Messiah will be A.D. This is huge. I mean, you yourself said, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Lord, I can't do this without a budget. You have to help me. And God would say, I will help you. Well, Lord, I know that you will help me. And I don't want to seem ungrateful. But Lord, none of this comes free. We need good people. We need the best people. The best people cost money, lots of money. Lord, you own all the cattle on a, on a, on a thousand hillsides. How about selling a few of those for this good cause? God might say, Stan, you don't need a budget. Some of my best people do their work with no budget at all. And you're going to be one of them. And I might think, but Lord, without a budget, I might as well just go out into the desert and shout into the wind. And God would say, now you're getting the idea. You know, that was all kind of a long introduction to this sermon, but the idea is simply that God's ways are not our ways. 
God's ways often seem pretty strange. Hasn't it ever seemed strange to you that God chose John the Baptist in the first place? Hasn't it ever seemed strange to you that John went out to the desert wilderness to preach in a place where nobody lived? Hasn't it ever seemed strange to you that God would inspire the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years earlier to pray, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Isn't it surprising that God would inspire such beautiful words and would then pick a rough-hewn, hostile man like John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus? I mean, it seems strange to me. With all the options at his disposal, why did God picked John the Baptist for such an important job. I don't know. But then I don't know why he picked Abraham or Moses or Peter or Saul. I don't know why he chose Sarah or Rebecca or Miriam or Ruth or Mary and Martha or Mary Magdalene. God works in mysterious ways. In fact, God often seems to delight in working through humble and lowly people to accomplish his good work. And if you think about it, you will probably find that to be true in your life as well. I mean, I want you to stop and think for a moment. Who was the person who introduced you to Jesus Christ? Who prepared the way for you to know Christ? Who made the path straight for you who filled in the valleys and lowered the mountains so that you could see the Lord who straightened out the crooked roads for you and made the rough places smooth who did all those things so that you would be able to see the salvation of our God who led you along paths that had been lovingly smoothed so that you might know Jesus. You know, I, I asked that question in a Bible study not too long ago. People talked about their moms or their dads st starting them in their lives of faith. They spoke about saints that they had known, not saints of great renown, but ordinary people of extraordinary faith. Ordinary people of extraordinary compassion and kindness. The kind of ordinary people that you meet in churches like St. Timothy's every day. It's people like you and me who are responsible for preparing the way of the Lord. And I know that some of you might feel inadequate. And some of you might say something like, but I'm completely ordinary. I have no talent doing this sort of thing. But the fact remains that most of God's work is done by you and by people just like you. Georgia Harkness, a great Christian theologian and author of a different generation, put it this way. She said, the most potent evangelism is that which takes place daily, weekly, yearly through the work of the local church. 
And when she speaks of local church, she isn't talking about the building at 6819 Luetta Road. She isn't talking about the lumber and the stained glass windows and the carpet. She's talking about the people because the church is the people of God. The church is the people who sit in the pews on Sunday morning for worship. The people who visit the sick and the shut-ins. The people who teach Sunday school classes. The people who help with the youth groups. The people who sing in the choir or sing with joyful noise. The people who assist at the altar. The people who serve as ushers and greeters. The people who go to Sunday school classes. The people who reach out to the community and all over the world. These people, you people, are the people of God. It is these people, you people, who prepare the way of the Lord, who make his paths, who make his paths straight, who fill in the valleys, who flatten out the mountains, who make the crooked roads straight, and who make the rough waves smooth, so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You know, God called John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord in the first century. God calls us to prepare the way of the Lord in this century. And we do that every week as we worship together, as we come to the altar together, as we invite our friends and our relatives and our co-workers to worship with us, as we eat together, as we sing together, as we praise God together. As we do all these things, we prepare the way of the Lord. We need not be rich or famous. We need only to be servants of the Lord. We need only be people who have received Christ into our own lives so that we might be enabled to help others receive him into their lives. Dawson Trotman put it this way, soul winners are not soul winners because of what they know but because of who they know and how well they know him and how much they long for others to know him. So during this season of Advent, let us receive Christ again into our lives. Let us again make Christ Lord of our lives. Let us allow Christ to remake us, to remold us, to refashion us again. And again, so that he might once again allow us the privilege of preparing his way in this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.